He's going to talk to us today about uh, Russia-Iran relations, uh, something that I think uh, is a rather broad interest here uh, in this town. Um, we've obviously seen the importance of this relationship in the context of Syria. Uh, we just had a meeting of the Astana format between the leaders of Russia, Iran, and Turkey uh, not too long ago, uh, as they're trying to figure out what the future of that country is. Um, meanwhile, as uh, the situation around uh, Iran and the possibility of a conflict with the United States becomes more, uh, as we see more news reports indicating that something like that might be in the works, um, it's obviously quite important uh, to understand how Russia approaches uh, Iran and approaches the region more broadly. I think that's probably one of the most important factors that the conversation in this town around Iran hasn't really taken into consideration. And so I'm really happy that we have Ruslan uh, here this morning to talk to us about that. Uh, he's going to do a, a presentation, I think we have slides, uh, and once he's done we'll open it up for discussion and, and Q&A. Um, so we're being recorded, we're uh, on the record, the video will be on the, the CSIS website at some point. Um, please silence your cell phones and other noise-making devices and join in welcoming Ruslan. In old Soviet political culture, there was such a phrase, Rozhrozhitsa perit party, disarm vis-a-vis communist party. That's why before I start I would like to confess you uh, one thing and probably ask for a pardon. Uh, I used to be executive director of Russian Armouriers Union, which is roughly analog of NRA, lower, yeah, only for legal entities. And I'm a member of NRA, but not life member. <laughs> Three years back at Short Show, I bought five years membership. Soon I would be clean. I'm on a probation now, yeah? Like within two years, I will not be member of NRA, you know? <laughs> Knowing how delicate the subject is here, I decided to, to inform you right now, you know. So, uh, returning to Russia-Iran subject, I'm uh, really deeply grateful uh, to Center for Strategic International Studies and uh, personally to Jeff, because uh, my center, uh, we doesn't have country's expertise in sight. We are thematical. We are about defense industry, about arms trade, about military conflicts when it comes to performance of weapons, yeah? Mm. And uh, you will immediately see that my presentation is through this angle. Mm. Certain aspects I'm unable to cover because we don't know. Uh, we have certain uh, expertise uh, on certain neighbors of Russian Federation and basically turn of Iran came after we covered some other countries, uh, I'm happy to share with you uh, uh, my modest findings. Uh, probably some of them would be uh, very banal uh, for two simple reasons. Uh, we are not like some people working here in CSIS or in federally funded uh, uh, research centers here people working open source, but at the same time they have clearance and they have uh, access to not open information. Since we are a private uh, think tank, uh, it gives us enormous liberty to express our views, to write down, but at the same time, uh, uh, for example, when we are working on MOD, uh, since we don't have contract to try, uh, contract since we don't have license to treat uh, classified information, we cannot be prime contractor. We all is a subcontractor of some state-run organization, military, civilian, yeah, 
and there is a Berlin Wall between us and them, we give them our results, we never get the feedback. That's why uh, I was never able uh, to check my hypothesis and uh, facts which I discovered during fact-finding missions, whether they're true or not. Yeah? That's why uh, if some, you will see, uh, some things will not fit your picture, it's probably not only due to ideological cleavage between the United States and Russia on Iran, but also because, let, let's put it blankly, we're, we're not good enough. Yeah? But I will do my best, and I hope I catch up in, in Q&A. Yeah? I will take the yeah. I tried to present uh, my findings, findings in, a, in a coherent way, but before I uh, start to pump you with, with my views and information, I would like to underline that this presentation and uh, in general Russian-Iranian rapprochement would not be possible without civil war in Syria. Because uh, historically there is a deep mistrust between uh, Russia and Iran since imperial times. Uh, the Iranian empire was declining, Russian empire was rising. That's why uh, common narrative between Iranians that we steal from them, uh, the, the lands which used to belong to them, that we forced them to conclude very unjust uh, agreements. And uh, finally, uh, in, at, at the beginning of, uh, or at the begin, beginning stage of uh, Russian, uh, of Second World War, uh, Soviet Union and Great Britain, they, they simply occupied Iran. Yeah? And uh, since Iranians, to my mind, have not completely successful modernization of their mind, for them history is extremely important, you know. What happened 200 years back, for them, it's extremely relevant. I constantly, uh, while meeting Iranians, hear from them about annexation of Gilan province. In fact, Gilan was annexed less for 10 years. And Elizabeth, the daughter of Peter the Great, gave them back. So such a minor episode in uh, Russian-Iranian relations is very vibrant for them. Yeah? Uh, I always like to joke that since they haven't passed the modernization, they still cannot understand the Iranians uh, that you can bargain and argue in a bazaar, but if you came to the supermarket, you must pay the price which is shown. And the Iranians basically keep bargaining even in a, in a supermarket. Yeah? And uh, I think this is the major uh, block for Russian-Iranian rapprochement history, you know. For them it's vibrant, for us not that vibrant as it used to be, let's say, in Soviet, in Soviet period of time. These cultural things are extremely important, but you will not find them in my presentation. That's why I thought that it would be logical to uh, share with you uh, this in my introductory remarks. Oops. Yeah. Uh, I tried to summarize uh, the key factors of Russian-Iranian rapprochement. Picture which you see at the bottom, it's the logo of uh, 
a joint center uh, for combating terrorism, which is established in Baghdad. So this is the center between Syria, Iraq, Iran, and, uh, and Russia. And this organization, or this ad hoc organism, which probably will transform further in something permanent, uh, was the first institutional organization where Russians and Iranians uh, start to exchange and work on a sensitive, delicate military issues. Bilaterally, we had experience, uh, both uh, Yeltsin's Russia and Iran was helping Northern Alliance uh, to combat Taliban at the beginning of 90s. There was ad hoc exchange uh, in, uh, in the fight against uh, drug trafficking, but uh, like full-scale, full-tangent cooperation started with the creation of this center. Um, as I told you, despite uh, miserable past, we have close relations with Iranians for almost three centuries. Yeah? And uh, both experts and political elites know each other very well. Um, the last uh, period, another factor which is extremely important, it's, a, it's US pressure. Yeah? And if we take China, China has lots to lose because of economic ties with US, neither Iran nor Russia basically have not much to lose in uh, economic interactions with, uh, with the United States and its allies. That's why the U US pressure uh, keep, us, uh, keep us together. Yeah? But I will uh, elaborate about this. Uh, this picture, this is President Trump signing uh, the pact, uh, Katsa pact, and uh, obviously this round of sanctions uh, brought us stronger together, you know, and more uh, United States press on Iran than on Russia, more it bring, bring us together. And uh, as we see every time deterioration uh, of Ra Soviet Iranian, Russian Iranian relations, all this, uh, it was not a coincidence every time then there was a detente and rapprochement with the United States, the relations with, with Iran uh, was falling apart. Yeah? And uh, this is just a reality. And uh, since the majority of political elite now in Russia are sure that sanctions will be stronger against us, that they can come up to the Iranian uh, level, yeah? up to the Iranian depth, uh, and sanctions are forever. That's why the room for, there are less and less room for the improvement of Russia-US uh, relations, and more and more room for the improvement of Russian-Iranian relations, yeah. Before Russians and Iranians start to cooperate uh, on a battlefield in Syria, last four years, there was already cooperating for more than a decade in the United Nations. Basically, Russians was supporting Iran while US and its allies was pressing on, on Iran because of the Iranian involvement in uh, Yemen. And uh, Iranians was supporting us uh, when US and its allies tried to blame Russia for annexation of Crimea and militarization of uh, Crimean Peninsula. Uh, this also a nice 
probably not essential but important uh, step in uh, Russian-Iranian uh, cooperation and interaction. Uh, there is a, in Russian language, there is a difference between military technical cooperation and military cooperation because military technical cooperation is an armed state. From this point of view, for example, Russia or Soviet Union was trading weapons with China since Gorbachev time, but the first joint exercise peace mission started roughly in 2005-2006. Yeah, there was a big period of uh, before the real military cooperation started. The same with Iran. Arms trade with Iran, exchange of information, not much, but uh, starting with war with Syria, the real military cooperation start. Uh, there was an agreement which was signed uh, this summer between Russia and Iran. We don't know what is the set of this agreement, but uh, despite that was a confidentiality clause, Iranians leaked that this agreement signed, and this is an unprecedented. I don't know what they mean by unprecedented, but probably for Russian-Iranian uh, uh, joint military uh, history, it, it's, it's probably quite modest one, but, but uh, a big step for Russian-Iranian trust. You know, On these two pictures, you see... Uh, a pro-Iranian militia flag on uh, Russian T-90 tank. It was given to Syrian uh, forces, Assad forces, and, and they then gave it uh, to Iranian militias. And uh, this Tupolev uh, 22M3, uh, this picture is uh, from temporal deployment on Hamadan Air Force Base. Despite the leakage and uh, harsh uh, discussions within Iranian society and the Iranian uh, parliament and rather quick removal of uh, these aircraft uh, from these base, it was absolutely unprecedented in history because Iranian constitution forbids foreign troops on their soil. Yeah? And basically this deployment, temporal deployment was against Iranian law and uh, before this, Iranians only temporarily allowed it Russian aeroacrobatic teams and Chinese aeroacrobatic teams and the passages for certain military planes. That's why for, for Iran and for Russia-Iranian relations, this temporal deployment is absolutely revolutionary. Yeah? And we should say that general Iranian public is full of uh, anti-Russian uh, sentiment, but Iranian political elite, both uh, military and clergy, they understand that uh, almost there is no alternative to the uh, work with, with Russia. That's why the authorities repeatedly say that this, these all things, even if they are against law and against tradition, that in, in the interest of Iran and uh, its national security. Um, military cooperation with Syria, it's very interesting to see how it started, you know. It started step by step. If at the initial stage when Russians arrived to Syria four years ago, uh, Russians were supporting Syrians in Latakia province and in Hama province. 
and uh, Iranians was supporting in the other. Two years later, there was a joint operation uh, in Aleppo. And uh, there was a presentation made by a Russian general that uh, apart from Syrians, there were Iranian called Sabirin, there was Hezbollah and other Iranian proxies and Russian special operation forces. So it was a tremendously uh, complicated and complex operation that turned success. Yeah? And uh, I know that Russians are very much impressed by uh, Iranians, especially uh, elite codes uh, and Sabirin units and by Hezbollah performance in the country. So arms trade. Uh, we all know that Iranians were traumatized by Gorchernamurdin agreement, by the decision of um, President Medvedev after meeting with uh, President Obama to cancel the deals for S-300. But uh, since uh, Iran has no other alternative for sophisticated systems, especially radioelectronic warfare, um, air defense, they cannot get these technologies from North Korea or China. That's why Russia is the sole source for performance equipment. Despite this trauma, the deal was revitalized and uh, I'm absolutely sure that would be new deals uh, after the sanctions, United Nations sanctions uh, will end in a natural way in October 2020. Yeah? And I hoped that one of the first deal would be uh, a combat aviation because the aging uh, fleet of combat aviation is a big, uh, uh, big challenge for, for the Iranians and also military transport aviation. Yeah? Economic cooperation. Yes, the level of uh, trade between uh, Russia and Iran is not big. Yeah? Yes, Iranians are not an easy partners. For example, during the last conversations when Iranians was asking to give them a green light to export their vegetables and fruits, and Russians in return asked the same conditions for Russian grain. Iranians said, you know, we are supporting our national industry to produce grain. That's why we prefer to keep the taxation of Russian grain at the same level. Yeah, uh, it's not easy to deal with Iranians, but step by step, apart from uh, nuclear uh, construction of nuclear power plant, there are Russian uh, railroad companies working on electrification of certain of certain uh, lines, railroad lines in Iran. Uh, there is uh, two oiled fields. Uh, and cooperation of Gazprom and uh, Lukoil with Iran. And there are other minor products, uh, projects in aviation, civil aviation, dual-use aviation. Uh, but once again, since Iran has no alternative, uh, I think that this cooperation will, will, will keep going on. Iranian has an extremely interesting uh, experience of combating US sanctions. And uh, Russians are sure that would be no problem with payment because of the cuts. They can pay in US dollars, they can pay in other commodities. 
to my mind, the easiest way for them to pay for Russian armament and uh, related goods is to put Iranian bonds on Russian markets. Recently, Belarusia put the bonds for five uh, billion uh, dollars, equivalent of five billion dollars, and the uh, Russian Ministry of Finance and Russian uh, Central Bank is for internationalization of Russian financial market. The same, by the way, Turks to finance next deals. You know, uh, you put the bonds with interest which is slightly higher than the interest of Russian internal ones, and basically with this money you can finance. Um, so, yes, there are problems with the uh, north-south transport corridor with Iranians, but surely and slowly they try to improve their infrastructure. We try to build uh, trust. We should always remember that Iranians always took into consideration our interest in our near abroad. If with Chinese our relations in Central Asia went up and down. Iranians all this was very cautious about Russian interest in Central Asia and especially in South Caucasus. Yeah? And I think that we don't see a new explosion of Karabakh war, the war between Azerbaijan and, uh, and Armenia, largely due to the joint efforts of, of Iran and, and Russia. Yeah? And once again, I have impression, I don't have proof that since Iranians historically, uh, their kind of national interest between two rivers and on the south, yeah, uh, all what is north does not interest them that much. That's why we can all this trade certain things which is important for them uh, in Yemen and Syria in their uh, preferred region to our interest in, uh, in Central Asia and uh, in, uh, in South Caucasus. So on this uh, note, I'm happy and ready to take your questions. Okay, um, thanks very much. Um, we should have plenty of time for questions. So I have a lot of things I'm interested in, in asking, but I'm gonna restrain myself so that we'll have an opportunity to to open up the conversation. Um, but let me just uh, start with, uh, with two things. Um, first is Syria. Um, Iran and Russia have been two of the main external players uh, in Syria. And of course, um, they've both uh, supported the, the continuation of the, of the political status quo. Um, now that the active phase of fighting is, is winding down, um, how much overlap is there between the Russian and Iranian positions about what the future of Syria should look like? Um, and how much does Russia worry about the, the role of Iran and Iranian proxies like Hezbollah in Syria? And then my second question, since you, you raised Nagorno-Karabakh, I'm just really curious if you, I could draw you out on that a little bit. What do you mean that um, Iran's role and, or the Russian-Iranian uh, cooperation is, is restraining an outbreak of the fighting. I'd just like to hear a little more about mm -hmm. that. Okay. Uh, as for second question, I know slightly more than on answer on first. On first question, it's my intellectual exercise. It's based on, on, on 
not on facts, you know, on, on certain, <laughs> yeah. We're in Washington, uh, nobody believes in yeah, facts anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Thank you for encouraging me. Uh, to my mind, it's rather simple. Uh, Syria is infiltrated by Iran, was infiltrated by Iran on all levels uh, before the war started. I was in Syria five years before civil war. I remember my Druze friends brought me to the restaurant and told, do you see this field? I said, yes. During the Shia holidays, there are so many tables that 20,000 Iranians sit and eat here. Yeah? If we consider this as a stationary restaurant, it can be put into the Guinness record book. You know, it was before. So it was that. After Iranians invested uh, so much, Stefan de Mistura insisted on which, uh, where he took these figures that annually they spend uh, six billion US dollars after the active phase of war started, like pure investment to support Assad regime. Yeah? Mm -hmm. They paid also with lives, and not only with their Shia proxies, but their own, like Kod, Sabirin, and uh, Israelis insist that Iranians lost 25,000. I think it's other claim. Iranians officially said about 2,100 uh, killed Iranian nationals mm -hmm. and 10,000 uh, wounded. I think it's the lowest. Uh, so somewhere in between. Yeah, it should be something in between. Yeah, it, it, it's big, big, uh, big contribution, and uh, Russian contribution never would be that uh, that costly. You know, for us it was all this limited. Uh, so our goals in uh, in Syria are limited, and I think we understand that for Iranians. It's like for us, Ukraine. It's it's really important, yeah. And uh, the f the most interesting thing that every time then there was something important for us, like our relations with Israel, you know, Iranians, for example, understood that they should remove most of their forces from pre-Golan Heights uh, province, yeah. not to it irritate Iranians. So every time then there was something important for Russia in the context of Russian-Iranian, oh, uh, Russian-Israeli relations, uh, basically without being much a hassle, probably under the carpet, there was some uh, some discussion, but uh, they did it, you know. And um, I don't know how to nicely summarize. Uh, I, I'm, I'm able to give certain number of snapshots, but mm -hmm. not a coherent uh, response on, on, on your question. Yeah. Okay. And then Nagorno-Karabakh? Ah, uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, uh, it's always interesting to see uh, Armenia and uh, Azerbaijan position, yeah? especially Armenia one, you know. Uh, Georgia, with very particular relations with Russia, and Iran with very particular relations uh, with the um, United States. Yeah? Uh, to my mind, at certain point, uh, for both countries, I mean Azerbaijan uh, and Iran, war can be a solution, at least mm -hmm. certain, certain part of the establishment things like this. Yeah? 
but this war will completely change uh, the the geography, you know, with the refugees and uh, neither Iran nor Russia not interested. That's why basically they keep both bo uh, uh, both parties. Uh, tight both parties, you know, from, from active actions, you know. And uh, to best of my knowledge, up to going uh, to threaten both sides, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a very famous Soviet movie, those who remember, Patkidish, Девочка, хочешь поехать на дачу или тебе оторвут голову? You know, but sometimes it's like, like this, uh, yeah. Uh, so to, to my mind, there is no doubt that uh, there is a stabilizational role, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, we was uh, speaking with uh, Dr. Parker uh, about Russian-Saudi relations. Yes, uh, when Saudis, Qataris and other oil monarchies understood that Russia probably can't help them a lot but can be a powerful spoiler, they re-established the relations, you know. Some of them even come and bow vis-a-vis -vis Putin in Moscow. But we always remember how Saudis promised us to compensate our interest if we stop trade with Iran and never did it, you know. We understand that for Israel, for Qatar, for Saudi Arabia, despite their ups and downs in uh, U.S. relations, U.S. would be the major partner. U.S. would be the, uh, the major supplier uh, of technologies. That's why the, any good relations with uh, Saudis, for example, there are 300 Saudi cadets now in uh, Russian military schools. Yeah? Uh, two years ago, it was zero. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And they came not for short internship, but for four years, you know, mm -hmm. to study. But mm -hmm. even this, so to speak, revolutionary thing, and by the way, there is no Iranians in this school. It, uh, it does not make us, there is all these natural and very strong limits uh, for relations between Russia and Gulf countries. Mm -hmm. yeah? And with Iran, not like this. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's very loud over there. Okay, um, let's open this up for questions. I'll recognize people. Um, there's a microphone going around, so please wait for the microphone. Uh, when you get the microphone, please identify yourself, please be brief, and please ask a question. Uh, okay, so the first hand I saw was right here. Thank you for, uh, Aram Avetisian, Voice of America. Uh, thank you for interesting presentation. Um, I have two quick, uh, brief questions. First, uh, about the U.S. Uh, about the sanctions uh, over Russia and Iran and about the implications on neighboring countries, specifically South Caucasus countries, because there is a pressure from the Washington to Yerevan, Baku, and uh, uh, about the uh, not li limited cooperation with Iran specifically. And, with, uh, and another question, can you a little bit more liberate on the international north-south corridor? You mentioned the problems there what the status of this project and where we are now. Thank you. Uh, the famous uh, leader of French Communist Party, Georges Marchais, liked to troll the journalist saying, ce n'est pas votre question, mais ma réponse. It's not your question, but it's my response. That's why I'm unable to respond on your question directly. I will respond in a collateral way. So as for Armenia position, you know, from one, one point of view, Armenia is very vulnerable, and the United States are not happy with the Armenian-Iranian interaction. But 
everybody understand the geography, yeah? And uh, to best of my knowledge, Armenians try to compensate as much as they can their romance with Iran. You probably know that Armenian, uh, US embassy in Armenia is the biggest uh, in the whole post-Soviet space. And this is the center of CIA operations against Iran. And the Iranians know about it and they in a sense tolerate. It's like a rule of the game, you know? Uh, since Americans are turning blind eye on certain tricks of Yerevan with Armenians, you know, Armenians are obliged to scratch the back of Americans with these things, you know. But about North-South Corridor, I know that uh, Iranians are not very proactive on this, but they insist on the fact that uh, they have like natural barriers and they improve local infrastructure. I, um, but I can't elaborate further. I'm sorry. I'm defense industry analyst. So. <laughs> okay. Right here. Peter Chu from Galisteo Consulting Group. Uh, thank you for elucidating. I think you were obviously talking somewhat from the Russian point of view, which is helpful. Um, I can't say that's Russian point of view. I doesn't, doesn't well, represent Russian government. I'm Russian citizen, I but I have zero affiliation with the government, You're more physical or spiritual. You know? Helping us understand, I think, to some mm. extent. Um, you mentioned a couple of times that uh, basically Russia, Iran has no choice but to, to work with. And that kind of led me to wonder if there's maybe a strategic miscalculation that Russia could be making there. I mean, you know, anytime you're negotiating with someone, you assume that person has no choice. Uh, that can lead to the possibility of miscalculation, especially since Russia and Iran, you know, don't share a religion. Um, you know, Russia has an Islamist terrorism problem. You know, to my mind, uh, I simplified in my presentation, and you simplified to extreme, yeah? The English is not my native language. Sorry that I was not that thin, yeah? When I'm speaking about uh, there is no choice, there was choice. In fact, the biggest blow for Russian-Iranian relations, it was a nuclear deal. All my friends working in Tehran told that immediately all these functioners in oil ministry, in minister of defense, and called Sabirin forgot how Russian representative of big companies look like. And they failed to reach the lowest functioner for months. Once uh, Trump broke nuclear deal, all these people almost came on knees. Yes, of course, there is always uh, an option. But when I see Donald Trump behavior, I think we have had good, quite, quite good chances, yeah? I'm not anti-Trump per se, but for example, how uh, President Trump ruined the deal with Taliban, it was a good deal for United States. And for simply, I don't know, idiotic uh, thing, inviting them to Camp David, you know? And then it's turned and he refused this deal. The same with Cuba. Very often Russians uh, are triumphant because of United States fuck-ups. Let's put it blankly. Why Turkey bought S-300 and I'm sure if a US will continue to press on them, they will buy Sukhoi 35. Mattis, Try to come down here, senators, by saying uh, it's sovereign decision. Let them choose it. Yeah? Basically, let Russians fuck up with, the, with Turks. But you did all possible for us to be successful. Thank you. And you keep doing it. 
The gift that keeps on giving. Okay. Um, yeah, Andre. Sorry if I failed to respond on your questions <laughs> as you wanted me to respond, but. Andrei Bakliskiv is Peer Center in Moscow and I guess CSAS now sure. already? Okay. So uh, if I may get back to your point about um, what Russia can provide to Iran once the sanctions go um, in 2020, Russia provided Iran with S-300 air defense systems and air defense systems not covered by US sanctions. So could you elaborate maybe on air defense systems S-400 for Iran, is that an issue? Is that going anywhere? Because we've heard that back and forth, that Iranians are interested, not interested. And then basically Russia is providing it to Turkey. There are now talks with Saudis. I'm not sure how sincere that is. But I mean, so everybody's getting S-400s, but Iran is stuck with one S-300 uh, supply. Do you know maybe about it? Thank you. So when we're speaking about Russian arms export, you know, we should always remember that the result is a hype around certain systems. The hype around S-300 started uh, while US was preparing and then bombing Yugoslavia. Like Ser Serbs was yelling on the whole world, like if we had S-300, they would never dare, you know? That's why there is like an image of Wunderwaffe. And uh, people of 21st century sometimes buy not facts, but hype. But all this does not mean that uh, Russian air defense is not potent. To tell the truth, I dare to remind to the public that we still had under the development and under trials the fourth generation aircraft, MiG-29 and Su-27, and Americans already start to export F-16. And Pakistani is getting first F-16, had a temporal air superiority over the Pakistani-Iran border, and they shot down Rutskoy the guy who formally then became a vice president under Yeltsin. Uh, both political and military authorities in Soviet Union understand that our military aviation is lagging behind, at least half step, if not one step. That's why they massively invest in air defense. And I'm absolutely sure and confident that at least for now, before Israelis and Koreans uh, South Koreans develop their air defense, indigenous air defense systems. When we are speaking about air defense starting from man portable up to sub-strategic, as the last versions of Patriot and S-300, S S-400, uh, Ante 2005, S-300 V4, what Chavez bought, Russian offer is the best. Probably uh, American offer is also good, but first of all, it's more expensive. The second one, Americans uh, for Americans, at least before Trump came to office, arms trade was not business, it was a continuation of foreign policy. That's why there are lots of uh, constraints, lots of restraints, you know. Uh, we all know that uh, ITAR being internal set of regulations, in fact, this is international regime. That's why there is all this, when you come to the Expo, you point on, on Turkish uh, fast craft boat, Yon Janyuk. Is it ITAR free? Yes, it's ITAR free. There is no American components, there is no American license, you know. So once again, lots of Russian successes, Americans are victims of their own success. We are very successful in putting Chavez in our arms and helping the rapprochement of the China. 
but is there an interest in Iran in, in purchasing the next generation? Uh, I think they are very interested in purchasing uh, next generation, but since their inventory is so old, so obsolete, apart from small arms and light weapons, missiles and UAVs, by the way, they have armed UAVs, we not. I will not be surprised if Russians at certain point will buy Iranian and Chinese UAVs, at least to test. They're interested in everything. How, wh what is the priority for them? Uh, I don't know, because it's very difficult to read Iranian mind, you know? Sometimes they're absolutely illogical from Russian point of view. Okay. Um, yeah. Aykan Erdemir, Senior Fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Uh, I think you give the U.S. too much credit when you say that American mess-up, pardon my French, caused Turkey to go for the S-400s. Uh, most Turkey-based analysts close to the Turkish government uh, have leaked, let's say, have leaked that uh, following the downing of a Russian jet, by a Turkish jet, Putin's prerequisite for a Turkish-Russian rapprochement was Turkey to buy a big-ticket Russian, Russian military hardware. And we have seen that the S-400 was the, the, the political price uh, the Turkish government had to pay uh, for things to get back to a, a certain modus vivendi. Um, so, uh, my question is, uh, if you take this version of events to be accurate, uh, doesn't this make a, a, a smart Russian agency to be the, the real determinant of uh, Turkey's uh, move to acquire the S-400? And by extension, wouldn't this mean that actually neither Erdogan, I won't say Turkey because the decision-making matrix could be more complex than Erdogan, but in this case, neither Erdogan nor Washington actually had much say or agency given uh, the, 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 the perfect way in which uh, Putin blitzed a, a, a vulnerable uh, leader uh, of, a, of an increasingly a fragile uh, NATO member. I can talk for hours. And even the ride in Amtrak from uh, Washington DC to New York is not enough to discuss this. Yeah? <laughs> Obviously, I only touched upon one uh, aspect of this deal, which is relevant. Uh, as I thought for this audience. Since uh, you wish me to elaborate more, I can elaborate at least some other aspects here. Yeah? We all know that Turkish sky was not covered for decades. That was almost zero air defense and zero local national air traffic control. And any leader, whether it's Erdogan or Mickey Mouse, sooner or later was supposed to be interested in protecting its borders in, in the air. Yeah? And we all know the previous tender, you know, how McCain pressed on the Vitaglu, we all know. So all this history had a pre... So we, we see now only top of the iceberg, but there is 80%. Yeah? So there was 
a strong uh, move of Turkey of having air defense, air defense, air traffic control. It's like fact of life, yeah? Another point, we know uh, how Turkish defense industry made a great leap, not as great as South Korean, because it's really a miracle, you know, from net importer to net export in 20 years, but still very important steps, yeah? And uh, every developing nation in that respect, when it's tried to develop its national defense industrial base, need to buy knowledge. Like Brazilians, when they bought Gripen, they bought Gripen not to smash Argentinians or Peruvians or neighbors. No, they bought technology. They bought knowledge, you know. They bought uh, five decades of Swedish knowledge how to construct military airplane. They basically made an injection in Embraer, and Embraer became a gem and Boeing now buying, yeah? The same here, also when Erdogan was buying it, it was buying, apart from friendship with Putin and political rapprochement, the ticket, this is no doubt, also buying a technology because uh, simply by socializing these people, yeah? And it will take long, you know? Uh, it will in enhance the national missile building industry. And in fact, the missile, uh, air defense missile, it's extremely sophisticated thing, you know? In, in certain respect, especially if it's naval-based, you know? Uh, it's more sophisticated than, uh, than the main battle tank, or apart from jazz turbine engine, I think it's second, it, it's really creme de la creme, you know? Like Soviet Union was developing it since the first missile they captured from Germans, and for relatively not big price. Two billion something, half of that Russian loan, and then you can restructure it. I think it's a good deal, yeah? It's, it's temporarily really win-win. And another point, I always like to compare this purchase, what Cyprus did in 97, in January 97, they was buying S-300, not because they need a, a military cutter. Everybody was satisfied with divided Cyprus, apart from Cypriots, you know. And they wanted to put this issue on top. And since Turk was protesting, was a great hype about it, then mainland Greece took S-300, gave them some of their equipment, so it, it was a political weapon. The same, the same here, Erdogan, send a strong message to the West, collective West. Here, Brussels, you know, we're NATO member, you don't value us enough, you know? We're keeping refugees. You can say it 100 times on the conference or on G20 meetings, on bilateral meetings, you, you bought S-400 uh, and everybody immediately understand. So that's why there are multi, multi, multi-facet. So th this deal is, is not pure You, I can elaborate more, but I think it's not that interesting for the audience, you know. I don't know, I can't speak for the audience. Um, okay, over here. Thank you. Uh, Simon Marison, uh, the Wisconsin Project on Nuclear Arms Control. 
so Russia has a fairly significant minority Muslim population, which to the best of my understanding is primarily Sunni. Um, has there been any uh, domestic issues or considerations in forming a close relationship with a Shia country and in supporting in Syria a Shia minority government in a Sunni majority country? There is a threat of this. And especially this threat is fed by uh, Western analysts. I've heard after Russia intervened, uh, for example, you make a picture of Russian, Russian Air Force in Hamadan. Some analysts told me you should put down Shia Air Force, like a collective Shia Air Force. Yes, there is a certain, I think, can be a certain, certain threats, yeah. Uh, but at least on a daily life, it, it's, not, uh, it's not tangible. Have you heard about, let's say, Chechen defectors from military police? There were several hundred Chechens deployed in this, what Russians call reconciliation center. In fact, it's uh, other, uh, military operations other than war, you know, talking to warlords, uh, trying to, to tackle certain issues, which is easier to talk than to kill, yeah? Have you ever heard about someone who defected to jihadists? I've heard about Tajik, head of special forces, which, which was trained here in the United States, who defected and became ISIS warlord. But I've never heard about anyone from Russian armed forces, Muslim one, from these battalions. That's why, for the time being, it's successful and there is no problem. Is there any threat? Sure. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. Uh. Hey, good morning, uh, Jeff Wilson, uh, Air Force Strategy in the Pentagon. Um, you mentioned both Russia and Iran want to become more powerful into a multipolar world. What is your sense of their definition of increased power? Is it economic? Is it influence? Uh, is it territorial? Second question, what do you think the appetite is for territorial expansion for both Russia and Iran into the future? I think we are discussing if we keep discussing in that term, it's a little bit like 19th century territorial expansion. I personally think that small is beautiful, yeah. To my mind, thanks God that Soviet Union fall apart and we got rid of all these territories which we were supposed to, to feed, you know. I have very mixed feelings about Russia supporting uh, uh, financially physically Belarus, yeah, because in Belarus every house uh, in every distant uh, point of uh, Belarus uh, has a natural gas due to Russian taxpayers, you know. And we, once you leave Moscow region, in Vladimir, you know, not every residential house has a gas, you know. Uh, so I, I don't know how to respond on your Expansion, it's absolutely clear that Iran, it's, it's very much, uh, I always like to say, under this turban, there is a shark's crown. They don't export, to my mind, revolution anymore. It's very nationalistic shark's policy. Obviously, they cannot uh, uh, rehabilitate shark, and, but I don't see much of their, so the revolutionary zeal, of the first 15, 20 years is back, to my mind. 
And for them, Hezbollah and Shia minorities, it's a, it's a, it's a nice, uh, nice tool to pursue their national interests. I don't know whether I responded to your question. You probably can reformulate because you put three questions in one and I a little bit like don't know how to respond. Like, You mean Russia or Iran? Well, I don't want Russia. Uh, it's not easy for me because it would be pure speculation. I will give you uh, a collateral response as I did it already once. Um, let's look Russia and China. Yeah, it would be easier for us than approximate on Iran. Yeah, is there any formal alliance between Russia and China? No. Do we have a mixed uh, history? Yes. Have we grabbed their land? Yes, in past. Are they happy with this? No. Yeah? But the same. For them, their historical lands in the Far East are not that important than Taiwan. Yeah? And until certain period of time, uh, their relations with the United States economic ones were so important, that's why it was the main barrier for our rapprochement. Now, with all this hassle, in uh, U.S.-Chinese uh, relations, it put us more and more together, you know. Uh, we intensify drills, joint patrol, uh, all the disputed land. And, uh, but for the time being, there is no formal alliance. And we agreed, as my uh, good friend and colleague Vasily Kashin invented a formula which I adore. For the first time in our life, we agreed with Chinese that we never block with someone against each other. It means if there is a war with the United States and South China Sea, we are not supposed to support them militarily, and they are not supposed to support us if we have engagement in Europe with US allies and US. It's not their fear, it's not their interest. But we will never, for example, then Indians come and say, choose either us or Chinese. I always say, in this case, I choose Chinese because they never ask such stupid alternative, you know. I don't know whether I respond. With Iranians, we are not at that stage, you know. Thanks God, by the way, that we don't have a land border with Iranians, only by Caspian, because it would have complicated. That's why all preconditions for rapprochement is at place, yeah? Thank you for the lecture. Uh, I'm Leo Tanaka, a student here at Johns Hopkins. Can you speak up a little speak bit? Speak up, because uh, I'm yeah. half deaf. You know? uh, if uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu loses uh, his power greatly in Israel, will it affect the Russia-Iran uh, relations? And if so, what, to what extent? They say that Putin is an Israelophile, you know, he likes Israel, uh, and there are very good relations between uh, Israel and, uh, and Russia currently, yeah. But basically, uh, with all problems in the past and probably in the future, Israel will be an ally of the United States. So 
Russian place in Israeli heart always would be minor to compare to American place, no matter ups and downs. From this point of view, as I told, it, it's by the way the same with the Gulf monarchies. You know, the room for cooperation, knowing that there is a big elephant also known as the United States in the room with you, you, you're never alone in this bed. You sleep with free, you know? And with Iranians, we can sleep together. It's, together, it's much better than menage à trois, you know? Let's put it like this, in a French way, yeah. We're learning so much about uh, so many things today. Um, any other questions? Okay, uh, John. Uh, hang on, just wait for the mic. Uh, John Parker, a visiting fellow at the NDU. Maybe this is a, a, another three-in-one-bed three type of question. Uh, but you mentioned the disappointment that uh, Russians have, uh, have had with the Saudis over the years. Uh, over with the Saudis. The Saudis, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. not, not delivering on promises. Uh, as far as I know, Putin is still scheduled to go to Saudi Arabia next month uh, for a, a summit. Uh, what uh, draws him there? Uh, what, uh, what's, what are the main issues uh, in common between Russia and Saudi Arabia? And uh, how does Putin handle his relations with Iran, for example? Uh, I don't know about uh, whether Putin is a genius uh, strategist, but tactically he's great, you know. And this story with Erdogan shows this, yeah. The same, he, he saw a window of opportunity with Saudis, you know. Uh, then Russian, uh, then Saudi-US relations was, if not deteriorating, was in certain humble-mumble situation, yeah. Uh, they first tried to coordinate on oil and gas prices, so there was subject. Then uh, Iran and its allies, some of them abandoned them, like United Arab Emirates uh, went to this mess in Yemen, you know. Then Saudis changed their mind about supporting opposition. So I think Putin seized this opportunity and he came and Saudis came to marketplace and they like exchange certain goods, exchange certain services. And uh, they can do it. But basically, strategically, we will never forget them and we'll never forgive them and we'll always remember how they supported Islamist insurgents in Chechnya and what they did against us when we were weak. They are ready to talk and to, to uh, to, to do services and exchange something, then we are strong, but once we are weak. Iranians were more cautious than we were weak. And uh, all these uh, bright monarchies were very decisive to make problems for us. We have long memory, probably not as long as Iranian one, but still. I don't know whether I responded to your question or not. So, I don't know if there are more questions, but I wanted to sort of jump back in here. Iran has obviously been in the news in the United States a lot recently uh, with the escalation of tensions and now the attack on the uh, oil processing plant. So when Russia looks at the crisis surrounding U.S.-Iranian relations and the potential for um, some kind of a conflict to break out, what is the, 
Russian calculation around that? How would Russia respond to an outbreak of, of some kind of conflict between the U.S. and Iran? No, worse in Russia-U.S. relations, better for in, in Iranian-U.S. relations, better for Russia. To my mind, it's clear. It's a little bit like Russian lousy joke. Человек повесился, журналист обрадовался. You know, like yeah, a man hanged and journalist rejoiced. You know, there is something to write about. You know, the same like it it gives us an opportunity. I don't know about Russian reaction on on Iranian actions, but I think this is clear. You harm them with sanctions for certain period of time. They kept a strategic pose thinking that probably you will stop at a certain point, but after you put the sanctions on their metallurgy, no exceptions for those who are buying Iranian oil, they understand that if they would not be fighting back, you know, the, the sanctions will strangle them. That's why the shutdown of the, for me it's the same logic, the sh shutting down of the US drone and these uh, attacks on oil facility, I think they were not even hiding these debris, they want people would find this uh, cruise missile debris mm -hmm. because this is a strong message. We're yeah. probably unable to hit U.S. territory, but the whole local U.S. allies, if you support U.S. sanctions, if you support U.S. in war against us, will burn you. you know? mm -hmm. To my mind, it's a very strong move. If we will not use value judgment, judgment to my mind, it's, it's very strong. Yeah, no, I completely agree, but assuming that this conflict escalates. Um, what does that do to, to Russia? What does that do to Russian interests? Oil goes up, four hundred dollars yeah. per barrel. There is this lousy joke. Once uh, oil goes closer to one hundred per barrel, we are great power. We are superpower. Once oil it's goes closer closer to twenty thirty, we are regional power. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's not even a joke, it's true. Um, okay, any other uh, questions? Uh, sure. Uh, my name's Robert Kemenaris. I'm not with any organization, <laughs> but I'm looking to be. Um, building off the question that was just asked, is there a worry or a fear in Russia that due to the extent of the arms trade that the technology that the Iranians are, have now would be used in a way to damage Russian interests, whether directly or indirectly, or does it even matter what they use it for? You mean that they will give it to Hezbollah and Hezbollah somehow hit our interests? So can you elaborate a little bit more? Well, yes, the, if the technology that is traded uh, from Russia to Iran um, if it's used in a way that is counter to what Russia would want, is, the, is there some sort of fear uh, within the government or defense industry in Russia? You mean reverse Russia? engineering or going to the wrong hands? Which, which Go, going to the wrong hands or used by, or used in uh, As for way. wrong hands, uh, all what is uh, real, yeah, for example, let's look at domestic violence in Russia. There is no gun sales, and I don't know, husbands kill their wives with a knife which you use in the kitchen. You know, that's why all what is 
you don't need a sophisticated knife to, to, to kill someone, you know. The same here, this threat for arms trade is all this present. And by the way, the biggest problem which for now we saw, this is the American weapon in the wrong hands. They give it to Saudis, they give it to Qataris, and they give it to uh, ISIS affiliated. Okay, not with label of ISIS, but you know. And then we see it hit even American uh, servicemen in Iraq. This is just, if you trade weapons, it, once you gave it, you lose control. It's just, it's just risk. I think every nation which trades weapon understand this risk and calculate. But to my mind, this risk is minor. Yeah? When we're speaking about reverse engineering, Russians basically uh, now are not that uh, traumatized and okay with Chinese reverse engineering, but Chinese has much more capacities to reverse engineering than Iranians. Iranians are talented people, but 40 years of uh, sanctions made lots of problems for them. That's why it's not that easy to clone, especially the latest generation. That's why in, in a particular Iranian case, this uh, is risk is minor. When we're speaking about S-400 for Saudis, I'm, I'm believing more in Erdogan uh, that he will not give Americans to see the new components of S-400 because there are lots of old components and they already started it on Slovak and Bulgarian S-300's first versions, yeah? But what is new, I don't think that Erdogan will let Americans or Israelis to study it. But if you give it to Air Riyadh, you can immediately send it to Raytheon here without stopping uh, in Jiddo or where this port. You can pack it, you know, economize on the, on the transportation cost. Yeah. That's why I personally strongly against sale of S-400 to Saudi Arabia, but not to Iran. Okay, any other questions? We have a little bit of time left if there are. If nobody else is jumping in, sure. Again, I Kanar Demir Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Uh, what are Russian and Iranian agreements and disagreements when it comes to Turkey's role in Syria and beyond? The short answer, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, long answer, I wish I knew what would be the Russian strategy after fall of Idlib. Because sooner or later, the story of Idlib gone. Yeah? How long it will take? 18 months or two years and a half, but I think it's already clear after Han Shaykhun that what would be the purpose of Russian forces to stay in Syria after the last stronghold fall down? For me, big question. And... Uh, also, Iranians, so far, they comfortable or not uncomfortable with Russians because there is a common goal. But once common goal vanished, obviously would be disagreement. Iranians paid more, we paid less, but we're basically asking for bigger share. That's why I think it would be uh, 
a serious issue of disagree disagreement in, in, in future. Yeah? But I think both parties, Iran and uh, Russia, understand. And they already probably have plan B, plan C, uh, the concessions. How it works in uh, this uh, triangle, Iran, uh, Russia, and Turkey, I don't know. Sorry, I'm not a mature analyst in this particular case. And I don't want to blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. OK. Did somebody else? Uh, did we see another hand before? OK. Uh, huh? Oh, Colonel Blackburn. Yep. Yeah. OK. Hello, Taft Blackburn from the Institute of Defense uh, Analysis. Um, I just had a quick question on uh, your thoughts on uh, Russian and Iranian interest in Afghanistan. Do you see them running uh, in parallel, or uh, do you see them, uh, the interests of both countries, uh, having different directions and different objectives uh, in the outcome of Afghanistan? To my mind, Iran uh, having a border with Afghanistan and we having no border. Like for them this issue of crucial importance for us it's important but uh, slightly less important. And uh, to my mind Afghanistan it's an ideal uh, subject, ideal field where you can cooperate without disagreements. Yeah? Because even in uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia interest diverges, yeah, and also Syria. Yeah. But here, basically, this thing brought us together, to my mind. Uh, and uh, starting from uh, support of Northern Alliance before 9-11 and further down. So I, I, I think this trust or the beginning of killing mistrust between Russia and Iran started in Afghanistan. And Tajikistan. Uh, Tajikistan probably to to less extent. But but in Afghanistan I th I think it's like it also can be something with the United States in the future. Because you should start by less sensitive and uh, more, less politicized subject. And from this point of view, in the future, uh, Afghanistan can be a point for cooperation on a kind of trilateral or multilateral, including the United States, you know. Even if we don't put it uh, on our flags. Yeah, this isn't really something I know a whole lot about, but. I know Russia has been pushing for negotiations with the Taliban for a long time. Um, and obviously Iran's attitude towards the Taliban is not very positive given their own history. So do you have a sense of how uh, Iran is, is looking at the, the current push to negotiate a, a peace deal in Afghanistan that would empower the Taliban? You know, my, once again, it's, it's my belief. I'm sorry, I a little bit come to the side of being uh, not analyst but propagandist. I strongly believe that because I don't know facts that sometimes the Iranians are not agree, are not happy. It's a little bit like a mask on their face. You mm -hmm. know, they, they need to portray this for external use, internal use, and sometimes for themselves, you know? I don't think that they are that unhappy mm -hmm. with, with Taliban as they portray, you know? 
Of course, these people are not the people they share the same values, but they understand that well, the Taliban will not vanish. You know, you yeah. should basically interact with them somehow. Yeah, if, if you will do it in a uh, solemn matter, probably your sheer junior brothers will not be that happy uh, that, that you socialize with Sunni extremists. But well, Sunni uh, extremists who killed a lot of Iranian but, officials. But under the, okay, they killed the, us, we killed them, yeah. By the way, Russia never fought uh, against America, and America never uh, was killing Russian Imperial, Soviet, or Russian servicemen, but why our relations are so terrible, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we still have not hit the, the bottom. Yeah. And, okay, so it's life. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we kill each other, sometimes not, you know. But once again, okay. it's my pure intellectual uh, mm -hmm. exercise. There is no facts. Yeah. Uh, there is no even... Uh, okay, I, I don't know the answer to this either. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. John Hurley, Catholic University. Um, way back, it seems that Russia's big interest in Syria was the establishing a port uh, connection and presence in the Mediterranean. And uh, would this be an area you feel that Russia would probably not want to pull out from once things, as you indicated, would become more settled in Syria? Any point of he was saying that he thinks the Russian interest in Syria is connected in part to having a, a military presence in the eastern mm -hmm. Mediterranean. And so because of that interest, do you think that Russia will withdraw from Syria when the active combat is over? I think that the right timing to quit is extremely important, yeah, because for the time being it's a success, successful uh, operation in terms of money invested, lives, lives invested, uh, and benefits which we got in internal politics. Yeah? But uh, it's extremely important to quit in the right moment. Yeah? Uh, whether we'll do it after Idlib, I don't know. As for the base, uh, I think uh, when we're speaking about withdrawal, it does not mean that Khmeimim Air Force Base and Tartus Naval Base would be evacuated. No, it's our. Yeah? And um, so probably you can reformulate your question that I could have. So not withdrawal, but draw down. Yeah, I think we, we, we will scale down the, the, the presence. We should. Mm -hmm. uh, probably militaries would be against, because like your militaries in Afghanistan, it looked like they liked there, you know? Despite it's absolutely logical, after 18 years, time to leave, yeah? Uh, but. Since Russian military is under the political control, not civilian control as here, but political control, I think uh, Putin and, uh, and, and, other, and other people who take decision, they understand that uh, uh, more you stay there with more troops, uh, it's, a, it's a risk. Because even if the zealots are suppressed, civil war is still at price. It, and the, 
it's enough to throw a little bit of the money and it would be second round. Well, to my mind, you know. Destroyed country, totally destroyed country, with no funds for reconstruction. It's not a nice place for, for foreign militaries to stay there. You know. We know how sensitive it's for countries which are at the other stage of the development, but they don't like troops. Look, look South Korea, how sensitive the issue of American troops uh, in South Korea. So every time, like foreign troops, how sensitive is for Armenians. Some part of the Armenian society is not happy with Russian uh, military base in Gyumri. But, but sorry, like I, I have impression that I, I'm translating you something like we have all good things against all bad things, but I don't know other message. Things that this has been a long time interest on the part of Russia, understandably perhaps, to establish a base, a naval base, you know, on the, in northeast Syria, on the Mediterranean. And uh, this was seen to be the, the introduction of, of Russian movement into Syria uh, in, the, in the war. And uh, it would, would appear that there has been some success there. And that's why I wonder, would there, would there be a, an effort perhaps to maintain a base there on the Mediterranean? I don't think that Russians come to support Assad because they wanted to preserve their naval base. I don't think that, let's say, in top five uh, reasons to intervene, that was one of, probably on, on a secondary reason, you know. Uh, to my mind, the main reason was to demonstrate that Russia is a global power, not regional power, yeah. Second one, yes, fight ISIS, but at the same time, support its alliance to show the whole world that we are able. Everybody said Assad must go. Where Francois Hollande, who said Malat must go, he, he went out. Assad is still a place, yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it was very important to train the troops because we are marked by two Chechen wars and brief contact, contact with uh, Georgia. And this is totally other deployment logistics, you know, like we got such a tremendous logistic experience. We tested the weapon. Uh, and Remember how four years ago everybody was waiting here in D.C. and in general in the West that Putin will bleed, that it would be trap, it would be second Afghanistan, you know, that the people against Russia, would, inside Russia would be against this. It's totally other, you know. It's made Russian military proud. It's made Russia itself more assertive, yeah, and uh, in general public supported apart from rare voices, you know. Basically, for the time being, after four years, uh, it's a huge Russian and Putin success. For that small investment, financial and with lives, such a great, great output, you know. United States and its allies now obliged to take Kremlin seriously, even against their will, you know. Iranians invested much more, much more. Okay. Um, any final 
thoughts or questions? Going once, going twice. Okay, um, thank you all again for coming. Let's uh, thank Ruslan. <laughs>